You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Cards and Cubes. This is episode 49. Um, my name's Christo. And I'm Trevor. And today we have a variety of topics. Um, actually, we're going to be talking about fragile games as kind of the topic. Um, variety of games played, I guess, is what I wanted to say. Uh, we're coming in from really hot Salt Lake City. We've been setting some temperature records. Uh, speaking of heat, apparently, uh, or hotness, I guess, Trevor has some surprise that he was talking about earlier to me. Oh, super hot! It's it actually <laughs> is in the hotness right now. <laughs> oh wow! But uh, but on that point, uh, I th- I think the thermometer on my car is hotter than the a- average temperature. But I was driving home from work today, and it said 111. Yeah, I think inside your car it probably has like uh, whatever effect it's called. Gosh, I forget what the name is. You know, when you enclose a space and it gets warmer than yeah. it's supposed to be. Gosh, what is it called? Something effect. Uh, like the Venus, inside the, the car is hotter effect. <laughs> no, like Venus, that the whole planet has it, and like clouds cause it, uh, like really thick clouds. Anyway, whatever. Um, greenhouse like effect. Green greenhouse effect, I think, is what it's called. Yep. So I don't think it's quite that hot, but it's pretty ridiculous as far as like even the summer because it's not that yeah. late in the summer yet. Yeah, the weather app was telling me it was about a hundred, which is seem i think that's unseasonably warm for yep. june so but anyway speaking of the hotness so you've heard of the game called battlestar galactica right oh i know what you're probably gonna say but yes i have heard of it i've never yeah. played that particular one but yeah it's uh i think it's like the first like super large social deduction game maybe i don't know if it's the first because like uh i think actually shadows over camelot was the first like hardcore social deduction game but i think Battlestar galactica like took it to the next level yeah and then it was really popular and has been you know it's kind of um like the sacred cow of of social deduction games uh, amongst gamers who've been in the hobby for a while. I've also never played it, but it's just one that a lot of people who've been around for a while talk about. Or I guess you say like hidden roles, maybe as much as social deduction, just kind of like yeah. a sneaky spy backstabby game. Yeah, it does have that. Um, anyway, it's getting a reprint, <laughs> but not with the same theme. Uh, I think you're going to love this. It's, I think it's a Cthulhu theme. Oh my uh, gosh. It's getting reprinted still by Fantasy Flight Games, but I see the Arkham the Arkham Horror f- sticker on it. Uh it's called Unfathomable. And I think that it this is a reimplementation of Battlestar Galactica the board game. Um so yeah, everyone's saying that this game was never going to be reprinted. Here it is coming well, to 2021 yeah i was gonna say maybe not reprinted with the same exact theme uh but yeah i kind of hate the idea of cthulhu in particular but actually funny enough um i was telling you that i know what you're gonna talk about because i did look at it because i was like the heck is this I think I'd heard about pretty much everything except that one on the hotness. And for some reason, I usually don't click on the hotness, uh, except I clicked on that one. So, 
yeah, I kind of just saw the pictures. So I didn't realize it's Cthulhu, but yeah, I was kind of like, whatever. Uh, I'm not a super huge fan of Battlestar Galactica in particular. A game of that kind, I kind of prefer New Angeles. We haven't played that for one for a while, but I think uh, it's not quite the same, uh, but kind of similar, like basically hidden roles, hidden opponents kind of a game, and you're commonly working towards something i think it works really well i really like the theme a lot but anyway yeah it looks looks interesting sure yeah i mean this is one i would play i don't know it's that it's one i'm rushing out to buy but it could be fun from what i've heard like uh, it can go on for a while and i'm not a really huge fan of these kind of um, games that go on for a while of that kind, even though New Angeles goes on for a while, but I think the system there is more interesting, maybe. Maybe I should just try it once, maybe I'm going to actually like it a lot, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know probably better than anyone that <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the biggest fan of social deduction games um, in general, but sometimes they can be fun. Um, so if it has, I think the social deduction, if it has a, maybe a little bit more of a mechanism built around it that that might help me enjoy it a little more rather than something kind of bare bones like a werewolf or secret Hitler or something that's just kind of just kind of dumb and usually ends up in just accusations flying across the table with no evidence and things like that. Those, those are the types of games I don't enjoy as much, but it looks like maybe this one's got some potential to be a little bit more fun than that. So who knows? We'll, we'll see when it comes out. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, jump into games played. Okay, so first game that I have played and that Hristo absolutely loves with all his heart, and he will not be able to tell you any different because he's going to be crying <laughs> for joy over there <laughs> in silence. Uh, it's called Cloud Age. Uh, we've talked, or Cloudage, if you'd like, because it is one word. That's kind I think. of a joke. It's Cloud Age. Yeah. I think they just made it one word. Yeah, we, we call it cloudage in, in, in our group just because it, it is one word. Uh, but anyway, this is a game we've talked about on the show before, so I won't uh, go into too much detail. It's designed by Alexander Pfister and Arno, Arno Steinwender, or however, Steinwender, how you pronounce his name, um, in the U.S. published by Capstone Games. Uh, basically, this is um, just like a... A post-apocalyptic setting where the world is all dust and you're flying around in your cloud machines and zeppelins and trying to uh, fight cities or fight cloud militia away from cities and uh, build upgrade your airship so that it can move further and have higher fight power and then eventually you're trying to sort of regrow the earth and, and plant vegetation. Uh, but basically the way the game works is uh, you play a series of rounds and um, on in each round, everybody's going to run their production to get water. And then you'll um, it's a deck builder game. So you're going to draw two cards out of this deck you have that will determine um, how many cards or energy you get. And then it'll determine your movement. Then you'll move your Zeppelin along this sort of linear path 
of different hexes to land in different cities where you will then fight a cloud militia to get a certain benefit. And then uh, once everybody's kind of finished that movement phase, you go into this, uh, it's really kind of an action selection phase where you put your drone meeple down onto different spots on the shared board where you can either pick up more cards to add to your deck or you can uh, build cards or uh, lay down these growth tiles or and things like that. Um, and I won't spoil anything, but that part of the game gets more interesting as this, the campaign goes on, because this is a campaign game. Uh, the campaign, I believe, is seven games, and uh, we just barely finished the campaign. Um, it's kind of like uh, Maracaibo. It didn't have anything super consequential, except that some of the cities changed over the game, and, and some things happened to change the state of the board that you play on. Um, some really cool stuff actually did happen towards the end of the campaign with the available actions to you. Um, more cards were added to the game, and um, Christo's favorite part of the game is the way you build your deck, which is you kind of place your drone. There, there's um, three cards face up in this display, and you get to choose which card of those you're going to try to pick up if it's your if you're the active player, and then you try to. Uh, the cards are kind of obscured behind these clear sleeves with clouds on them, and you kind of try to guess which. Uh, which resource is more prevalent on the different cards and just add them to your deck. Um, it's kind of a lighter game uh, with some push your luck and some randomness in it, but I think the system was fun. I enjoyed playing the campaign and uh, you'll find this funny. So the uh, end of the campaign actually has a very similar ending to the Maracaibo ending, except nice. that, it, except that it incentivizes has- no, it incentivizes you to take good actions instead of bad actions. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say it. It, it uh, had like a that a round where everyone has two bad actions just to end the game, so you don't have to keep playing the last mission over and over. But it sounds like it's actually better. So yeah, yeah. it is better um, because it can get into a situation where you do need to replay it if you don't do the right thing. But the right thing is actually uh, good and good actions so it's it's not quite the same disappointment we had with the final scenario in, in maracaibo but um yeah i i like the game it I, it's by no means my favorite fister game but uh i i had fun playing it um and i i think christo did not <laughs> well yeah basically i was gonna say i don't like the game <laughs> uh kind of overall I actually the first play was of it wasn't like super terrible but kind of the more I played it the more basically the frustration grew with uh, all the basically random elements which are very consequential to your game um, out of the like all the phases that you play in the game basically every single one of them was just kind of a source of uh, kind of like I say frustration and just kind of like uh, Basically, you start with pulling cards off the deck, and sometimes you really want a particular number, not necessarily like higher or lower, just like uh, basically efficiency. And sometimes, like, you way overshoot what you need. Sometimes, um, actually, oh, fighting, uh, fighting in particular, that was uh, the thing. Also, movement could be that way, though. Basically, you desperately need like a particular value of movement, and you don't get it, or you get something that's really high, and you're just kind of like 
I don't really care for this right now. Um, there's a lot of randomness with the cards that you pick up from the deck, and uh, the you, the punishment is even more uh, harder because, like, it's kind of uh, you have to pay for cards basically. So they're like a resource, and you pay with cards for cards with cards though. So you can kind of trash your bad cards, but I don't think you can trash like all of your bad cards because basically you have to play some of the cards that kind of the game gives you. Um, basically, everything is kind of summarized with I was looking for reviews to commiserate with and uh there's plenty of people that are like yeah this is not super great uh, someone on bgg i'm just reading it's like he's he's saying and i kind of agree it's like maracaibo but lighter and worse it's a bit heavy to play as a light game as a heavy game maracaibo is better in every way uh, if your group likes one hour medium euros this might however be for you um, i kind of agree i think um uh the game the game is supposed to be light and that's supposed to excuse all these like random things that happen in the game and just kind of like um there's some i started tracking like statistics of what we pick as far as resources because i really think some resources are better than others but what what we kind of ended up switching towards uh with of the games that i played was towards basically symbols because we found that the symbols are sometimes basically half an action so or even a complete action like you there's a symbol on the card which is kind of random sometimes actually you can see it sometimes you can't see it though which could be equal to like an entire draft action basically you can get one medal out of it which sometimes you get one medal of the card anyway <laughs> so basically if something has that symbol like you better choose it whether you can do it or not just so that someone else doesn't get it you know those kind of like decisions which are not great uh, but anyway, where, where was that going? I don't know. Um, no, I, I will yeah, say was... this, though, about the... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, I think that... So, Haristo stopped playing the game with us um, when there was like three or four games left in the, in the campaign. Um, so, as the the game changes you actually do the pickup cards action less so that get that part of the game becomes like someone is doing it if they really need to dive for a specific card value or specific type of resource that they can see as plentiful um whereas i think for some reason when we were playing it uh bef early on in the campaign it seemed like every like people were doing the get a card action really frequently which kind of just leans into the to the um into the luck factor that you're describing which i could see is is um maybe not as fun but like i i think that there's generally enough information to see on the card that you can kind of say think you know you know whether it's going to be a one probably or a two probably or three probably and then oftentimes you can see the the symbols but sometimes not but um anyway yeah i just didn't think it was that big of a problem yeah. uh i was in situations where i could see good resources but i didn't want that particular resource obviously so like of the resource i wanted there was nothing good so i mean the escape to that is you'd select a building action but i don't know if that's really good for you at the time so that's kind of just a just one of the frustrations unfortunately with the game uh, i was gonna say overall uh i really agree with the comment that it's a bit heavy to play as a light game because there are decisions to be made and there's like an end 
engine running and uh, resources that are uh, being collected and stuff. So it's not like kind of a joke game that you can just kind of play. You really have to think about it. And that's like the combo that just really kills games for me is like, if a game is, you have to really think about it and it's complicated and it's like a kind of resource heavy and conversion-y, but also there's kind of luck elements. And um, I also had like a couple of games where like basically something horrible happened in like round two or three. And because it's an engine building game, I think it kind of becomes hopeless. Uh, there's no way to like for you to fix it really. Um, it is kind of a runaway uh, game because if someone gets more stuff, they get more stuff just because of the where they are on the map. They're in front of everyone. Their engine is faster. So yeah, it's it's just kind of unfortunate, but um, definitely I think not a great game by Fister. I like Fister games, but Alexander Fister designer, but uh, like Maracaibo was approaching the badness for me. Like it was like right on the edge of me being like, well. This is kind of bad and this one kind of definitely crossed that line but i do like uh other games like mombasa blackout like those are really great games um i just like i don't know i guess he can't do like light games as far as i'm concerned because even if it's a light supposedly game it's not really that light it's still kind of one of his games but just kind of not pleasant i don't know that's just my experience yeah. with it I mean, I don't think anybody ever tried to sell this as a light game because the playtime on BGG is 60 to 100 minutes. That's not a light game. A light game is like 20 to 45 minutes. Um, it, I think it's always been sold as a lighter Fister game, which means it's going to be probably a medium weight game. And you're right, there's some decisions to think about, but at the same time, like you're, you only have two resources to think about. So if you've played any um, of his other heavier games or any Euro game really with, uh, with any resource management or conversion, like two resources to track is incredibly easy. Uh, the yeah. cards can be a little lucky on what you get and what you can afford and things like that. And so, yeah, there is, there's no way getting around it. There is, there's some luck to deal with in the game, but I think that, uh, just where the weight is at, I, I was never bothered by it. I, that's just my perspective though. From my perspective, there's just too much to think for like what the game is. I wanted, if I were to enjoy this game, I want to just kind of think less about it, even less than what it is. Uh, just kind of just the design decisions. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't know if there's only two things because there's some less obvious things. Basically, everything on the cards is a thing that you have to think about. The drafting cards with the uh, drones that you can only see half the card. Uh, I mean, the card itself is also a resource because you're building your deck and also they introduce tiles. So basically you have to think about like water, metal, tiles, cards themselves, the card itself for your deck and Well, tiles. you never have to... You never have to exchange or pay for anything except for discard a card when you play a card, and then you're only ever going to exchange water and metal for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, what is the best way forward? You have to consider, like, six things, really, to think about. Like, is it better to make my deck better, or am I going to, should I pick up tiles so I can do things? Like, there's there's definitely a lot to think about um, in the game. Um, yeah, like you said, there are some really cheese things in the game, like, basically, Brandon won one game because I think think also like we didn't understand the game very well at that time but there's these cards where you can pick a card to score when you just get one of those special icons off the cards which basically becomes like a push your luck game for points and because no one picked those icons
like once he got like I think some ridiculous amount like 20 or 30 points just by like just picking icons literally picking icons uh, I think he built like two of them to start the game with and just he got a lot of those icons um, and got a lot of points out of yeah. it so there's some like really weird stuff like that um, well, sometimes you get blocked with movement yeah I can say that that never happened again because the rest of us then saw, oh, that's possible. And then we kept cards. I don't know if everybody else did this, but I kept cards or, or played them myself. Um, and I, I never saw that strategy emerge again because it, it depends, like you're saying, it depends on you have to draw all those cards and how likely is that to yeah. happen? Well, it happened in his game, but yeah, I have to draw them early because later in the game they're useless. Speaking of which, though, the only game that I was like reasonably close to winning because of luck like that mostly was because uh, of something else. But in that game, I played one of those cards and I think in like five or six rounds of... No, not five or six, like three rounds of everyone drafting cards. I never got a single icon off of them, which was kind of just insanely disappointing because I was off by like three or four points. But anyway, yeah, uh, I should say the other thing is not my favorite thing with like uh, campaign scoring. Basically, I don't know. It's cumulative points, which you, I guess you kind of have to do it some way, but... Um, I think if you lose like a lot of early games, it kind of becomes hopeless as well, which was kind of frustrating. But basically what it amounted, amounted to is like Trevor was saying, I basically kind of quit the game for the last two rounds. Uh, someone, someone else played game eight or whatever, six, just getting six. And the seventh game was just three people. And actually, unfortunately, I was going to say I was kind of relieved when that happens because I kind of didn't have to play the game. And I was like, hey. <laughs> so that's kind of the the sad thing about that entire experience, but yeah, um, yep, that's that's pretty much it. So yeah, definitely I enjoyed not, it. Christo didn't. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a great fister as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so, yeah but I, I will I will definitely concede like that's not at all his best game or one that I would say like if you haven't played a fister game, go get this one. It's just I yeah I, I had fun playing it. And in my opinion, like as, as far as like uh, numbers go on BGG, it's like seven point six. I can't. I don't know where the hype is for this game. To me, it's definitely not like seven point six. It's really bizarre that the ratings are so like I feel inflated for it. But I don't know. Maybe some people like it. It's real strange. It's very strange to me because there's like I don't know the like a uh, score like that. I would expect the the game to be like just categorically way better than what this is but anyway anyway yep that's cloud age but yeah um i did play a game this monday i played the game solo previously but i played it with people which was a very similar experience actually to solo and i'll explain why it's search for planet x um i would describe the game i was thinking about it like it feels weird i don't know if it feels like a game like a board game really uh because what you're doing is a very elaborate pretty much sudoku puzzle um is what it kind of feels like to me uh you're given the theme of the game is your astronomers and you're looking for planet x which is a real theory about uh some planet with a ridiculously large orbit that's really far from the sun like I, you can look it up basically there's uh theories of where it might be but uh supposedly it explains some orbits of other 
bodies around the solar system. So um, it predicted like some really distant uh, orbiting things around the sun that had like per per perpendicular orbits to the orbits of the planets and they were actually found. So I don't know where the theory is at right now. It's like very current science, which is kind of interesting as far as a theme of a board game. It also made me think like if it can turns out to be completely bo bogus maybe it's going to be like something like embarrassing or something in a few years like well that was a dumb theory or something you know and like the board game is going to be completely <laughs> completely obsolete and funny but i guess They'll it have might have like a, to fix it yeah expansion like the theory was wrong you know now you need to find something like the correct one but anyway yeah based on very current like interesting science uh, you're trying to find planet x which is supposed to be a real like i say planet orbiting the sun uh the game is very uh simplified as far as 3d stuff basically the solar system is a disc uh, flat disc i should say 2d and it has uh 18 sectors i think in the, the advanced game which i kind of recommend really playing the advanced game um the easier game is basically you know more about the solar system and where things are and fewer sectors i think it basically reduces playtime and it makes things just kind of easier i just kind of recommend just jumping into the advanced game to begin with i think you're going to have more fun uh, unless it's like you're playing with like children or something i don't know i'm i don't know uh but anyway what it is is you're given some information or actually you can select a difficulty level that's also interesting you can select to be given no information or some information or a lot of information about where certain things are in the solar system and there's uh, a set amount of like asteroids gas clouds giants uh dwarf planets and uh i can't remember and planet x itself and also the uh, solar system also has some empty sectors and there's some rules about things like gas clouds are next to at least one empty sector dwarf planets are in a sector of six like uh, a band of six so there's four of them and they have like particular configurations that they could be in so there's a bunch of kind of rules about relationships between objects like that and the game just kind of sets you up on your own to do some actions to try to find some more some more information um so you can do your actions are basically kind of like you can uh, do different scans of uh for objects around the uh solar system uh you can do different like ranges so you can say like i'm scanning for dwarf planets in a band of like seven sectors and you actually ask an app about what the answer is uh it is very similar to alchemists basically the app hides the information about what the solar system is like the objects and you ask the app uh what's there and the app tells you how many for example dwarf dwarf planets there are in the sectors that you asked it about so you record all this intersecting information on a piece of paper which is actually quite an elaborate piece of paper but um it does a really good job of kind of like uh, basically you can cross things off you can circle things you can record some information about what that other people are doing they've done a really nice like format for recording what everyone else is doing there's also these actions where you can take about research um you can research again really 
relationships between different bodies so it might tell you like uh there's at least one dwarf planet next to a gas cloud or something like that so it tells you what the research is about but not what it is and you can take an action to also research that and the whole game is a time track so uh you're the the person in the back takes an action and they move forward kind of like Tokaido or the australia or whatever um and then whoever's behind is taking action so if you take like uh one powerful action that gives you more specific information you're not going to be taking actions actions for a while if you take a, a few small actions which give you lesser information like more vague information uh you can take several of them uh so that's kind of the theme of the game uh yeah so to, to identify planet x which is kind of the point of the game i should say there are victory points but usually kind of whoever finds its planet x is going to win but not necessarily there's some other things that you can do uh you have to identify not just which sector it's in so you can't just like wildly guess at the beginning because you have to say what exactly is in the sector to the left and to the right so that kind of makes it so that you have to pretty much identify like the whole picture i feel uh so that you can like not take a guess because taking a guess is uh punished pretty harshly you basically uh take you move forward five spaces which is like you're doing a really good action but you get nothing for it so you probably uh <laughs> you probably don't want to do that because if you guess like four yeah. times basically that's the whole game <laughs> so um also there's the theories that you can submit so you can basically get points for knowing where things are earlier and you get points for knowing where things are earlier than everyone else uh, so the whole thing is actually kind of a very interesting experience of basically people kind of trying to figure out things and you can kind of record their actions and you can see what people are kind of researching over and over. And if you research it over and over because of intersections, you can kind of figure out where things are. So there's this phase where you can submit theories about things and you submit them kind of in play order like backwards to, f to front and you can kind of piggyback and guess what people are guessing and even if you don't know where things are you can kind of start relying on people's knowledge hopefully and kind of by seeing what theories they're submitting about things that they know and kind of piggyback off of their information to get a little bit of an advantage like i say very very weird experience as a game but basically the entire game is just deduction so you you find out information uh, for yourself you try to kind of see what people are doing kind of in a weird way and you're trying to piece together the whole thing uh, so yeah, I really liked it as far as a multiplayer game, uh, but it was very similar. You can play against a bot by yourself. Uh, you can even set the bot difficulty. The, pla the app integration is really good, actually, I would say. Uh, again, very similar to Alchemist. I think Alchemist has an amazing app as well. Uh, the bot actually is really good. Actually, the bot's difficulty is uh, really good and it's programmed in a really fancy way where uh, it actually takes player actions and you can also watch what the bot is submitting and the bot's theories are always correct. So you don't know what he's submitting, but you can kind of see what the bot is doing and kind of make some conclusions about uh, that as well. So, yeah kind of kind of a weird weird experience uh, like i say playing it with other people is very similar to the bot i mean you can get there's like a little bit of banter of like um like people think that 
they know things but they don't know things and like what do you know and someone like tried to find planet x and they failed it and it was funny <laughs> so, so stuff like that happens but yeah very very interesting game kind of very uh i should say like cerebral in a way i don't know if it's going to appeal to too many people that are not into like hardcore deduction and uh like sciencey themes but i actually really liked it i'm i'm very fascinated by games like that very innovative i'd say there's not many games like that i think basically i was looking for some experience kind of like a lighter alchemist and it kind of does it but it also kind of doesn't i'd say it's actually pretty successful as a lighter al alchemist experience where alchemist is like maybe like two hours this is like one hour or something or an hour and a half plus some rules explanations uh, i feel like if you start with some information at, at the lower difficulty level it can be even shorter but yeah anyway trevor didn't play it but how does it sound or do you have any do you have any cloud questions <laughs> yeah you were playing uh, the last uh, game of the horrible cloud age campaign uh um, yeah any comments or game, questions this game sounds fascinating um i i like deduction the theme is cool to me um i've been wanting to play this one for a while ever since you uh first mentioned you were going to get it and then you told me about your solo play um so all i have to say is i want to play it yeah, sounds interesting. Uh, we should definitely play it. Uh, I was going to say the weird thing about it not feeling like a board game is I feel like a lot of board games, like there's certain skills that you develop with like, you know, like efficiency and like uh, take the best action with the least resistance, go for people that go for things that people are not collecting, you know, in drafting games, like, you know, like the usual regular board game skills. This game kind of like is a completely different thing where you just feel like like you're just kind of like i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> even like because the the funny thing is the most of the game is asking questions like how many of this are there like how many uh, dwarf planets are there in this sector or something and even like the skill of asking the right questions is like i don't know what i should ask you know like it's just like it's such a weird experience that i don't know what it would take to be like good at the game i was also thinking about that there's a little bit of luck as well because like you can try to i think to get an advantage you should pick piggyback off of other people's information and kind of watch what they do but that's also kind of very scary because you don't know if they're making mistakes so it could be like you know building information of things that they're making mistakes on and then it's like a big explosion of failure if that's true so anyway there's a lot of really unique things that's kind of like this is not like a euro game of like something like caverna or whatever where certain skills comes into play this is more like a, a weird thing where i guess if you're really good at logic maybe that comes into play so yeah if it sounds interesting to you search for first search for planet x yeah the logic puzzle and um what you mentioned about kind of figuring out the right questions to ask that's that's something that's really appealing to me i enjoy um aspects of de of deduction games because of that um, yep. so yeah looking forward to playing that oh i should say uh, something about that particular play that was interesting we almost all basically came to the right information at approximately the same speed so i don't know if everyone was just being overly safe but that's kind of how our play ended up being um when I played it solo, I basically got destroyed by the bot. Uh, when the bot guessed Planet X, I was just like, 
<laughs> I don't know what I'm doing still. Just kind of like <laughs> you're you off know, in the corner eating glue. <laughs> yeah. Basically there was a huge like asymmetry of information where like clearly it was smarter, but with our play I feel like everyone was kind of on the same pace ish. Uh, there were some like advantages in the middle of the game, but by the end I think everyone kind of figured out the whole board almost at the same time. So kind of kind of interesting, just unique. I don't know if every game plays out like that, but yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, actually, the game I wanted to bring up next is by the exact same design team. Uh, so Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett also designed Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, um, the published by Stonemaier Games. I recently picked up a copy of this game because the expansion was just barely released. Uh, the expansion is called Secrets and Soirees, and um, basically. I wanted to bring this up because just a, a week or two ago we had played between two cities with the expansion and had really enjoyed it. And this is the same concept of the game, but I think this one just has a little bit more happening in it. And so I thought, sure, let's try it it's because uh, when they released the expansion, they were also selling the base game at a really big discount. So I just went ahead and picked up a copy of these. And uh, basically what the game is, is, um, just like between two cities, you're playing with ideally like four or more players. And between each set of players, um, you'll have a castle that you're building. And it's a, tr it's a tile drafting game. So you'll start, there's two rounds in the game and you'll start the round with each player having a stack of nine tiles. You'll pull tiles, one tile out, or you'll pull two tiles out of that stack one of which must go between you and your the player on your right in that castle, and the other one has to go in the castle between you and the player on your left. And there's various different rooms that score in different ways, um, the outdoor tiles as well. And uh, you just try to get both of your castles to score well by the end of the game because you'll end up scoring only your... Um, your lower of the two and so what are some differences between this and between two cities um first of all i think as i mentioned there's just there are more types of rooms um in comparison to the number of buildings i think in in between two cities i don't remember exactly how many there were in between two cities but i think in between two castles um there are I want to say seven or eight, maybe even nine different types of rooms uh, to build. So um, there's maybe a little bit more to consider when you're drafting in between two castles. And then, um, you know, Harissa might bring this up later, but then there's also the possibility that because there are more types, maybe the combinations don't work out quite as much depending on which tiles you pull into the game. Um, there are also uh, different, there's a bonus system where once you get the third of the same type of a room, you get a particular bonus that corresponds to that room type. And then when you get five of the same in your castle, then you, you get uh, some special tile, any one of your choice, I think. And, and the special tiles can either be just straight up points or they might score based on other rooms. Um, 
I thought that the game was cool. I don't know that I enjoyed it more than Between Two Cities. I probably enjoyed it just as much. Um, but I could see the criticism of it that maybe it kind of loses a little bit of the simplicity that made Between Two Cities fun. With that being said, I don't think that it's overly complex and I had a lot of fun playing it. So I don't know that that's a criticism that degrades the game for me, but I can definitely see that 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 could be a criticism of it if you really liked the concept of Between Two Cities. Uh, How did you like the game, Hristo? Uh, to me, they're actually kind of very, very, very similar. I mean, it's basically kind of the same game, really. Uh, you have some more freedom as far as you can. your castle can be whatever shape you want in between two castles, which is interesting. Uh, they're the conf- Conversely, though, some rooms have to be like underground. You're looking at the castle on the side. So that's kind of the, the spatial puzzle there. Uh, between two cities had like a set board, uh, not positions, but like a shape for, for the it's board. It's like a 4 but by it's 5 or something. Yeah, yeah. There's the, I think the base game is 4x4, four four, the expansion is 5x5, five because five, it has uh, 4,000 in the middle or something that are, if I remember correctly, that are like uh, terrain. But anyway, yeah, very, very similar games. They're basically kind of the same game. Uh, like Trevor was saying, I'm not sure if I appreciated like the... There's just more stuff, which makes it more of a game, too. If, like, Between Two Castles is probably more complicated. Um, but it's really not that much more complicated. I mean, there's, like, really just same game plus four types or something. Uh, there are some interesting scoring conditions. There are some really weird ideas, like sometimes the castle gets a bonus, so you don't just care about the castle to the left and the castle to the right. Like, you you start looking from the castle's perspective, so the castle starts caring about its castle to the left and castle to the right. Yeah. So there's this, like, <laughs> weird thing yeah. where they introduce, like, the castle can, like, uh, start looking for, for example, like, the sum of certain rooms from the left and the right castle. That's, I think, part of the expansion. Uh, so some interesting, like, basic ideas to kind of shake up the game and make it even weirder. I don't know if all of them are super exciting or work that well, but I mean, they're kind of very similar games, so they're kind of the same game to me. I still, like Trevor was saying, I think I prefer the simplicity and uh, just kind of the type of game that uh, Between Two Cities is. just because it's kind of more simple. I feel like they took Between Two Cities and they tried to kind of make it the next level game, but still very approachable. And yeah, that's what it is. Um, there is more opportunity, in my opinion, because of all, there's a bunch of bonuses that you can get. So because of that, I think you can draw something that's really good from for you from, there's like a card card deck now with bonuses. There are these bonuses that you can commit to specific icons and stuff. So uh, like I say, you can kind of draw something that's better for you, or like more swingy stuff, uh, in my opinion. But that's not necessarily bad. It's just kind of different. Um, yeah, it's it's a fine game. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's just kind of more about trying to make it work out. And the, we got into situations that we didn't get into in... Um, between two cities where you're actually trying to think of okay so if i if i pick this tile it may not be the best tile but it could trigger that benefit which would allow us to do this which might trigger another benefit so like you were saying there's there's more to consider and it's it is a bit more of a game the playtime on bgg is like 45 to 60 minutes whereas between two cities is like 25 minutes so it is it is more of a weighty game but as we've said it's it's still 
in my opinion, a pretty light game. So if you asked me which one would I prefer to play, I'd say flip a coin because I think they're both great. And um, I, I think one, you know, between two cities might land better with people who want a more streamlined and simplified experience. Um, but between two castles might scratch the itch of um, figuring out a, maybe a, a slightly more complex puzzle or, or like pushing your luck to try to make something a little more explosive work. But uh, but it might not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was going to say I'm really surprised that Search for Planet X is by these people because it kind of doesn't feel like it. I don't know if they collaborated with someone. There was something in the rulebook that I didn't read with like the app stuff because there's really a lot of kind of app integration in search for planet x like uh, there's hardcore like programming for things uh because every game that gets generated has like a bunch of interweaved facts about like things you can learn so anyway i'm just uh, they don't feel like uh, similar at all uh, but i think between two cities uh whatever is matthew o'malley and ben rossett it looks like they've previously done kind of lighter games and i feel like search for planet x is kind of not that light in a weird way anyway just kind of that was was really right yeah it was i was just really surprised that uh it's the same team i was like what but yeah yeah yeah, I actually didn't even realize that until I was looking at the page right now. I was like, "Oh, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was the same, same group." But uh, maybe Planet Search for Planet X is an indication that they're kind of, uh, in, uh, I guess, taking a a whack at a little more complicated style of game, or just really bizarre. But anyway, yeah, cool. Yep. So that's between two castles of Mad King Ludwig. Alright, next game I played was Gentes. I'm pretty sure that's the correct Latin pronunciation. I spent quite a lot of time looking it up. Uh, there, I found there's a book about how to about the correct Latin pronunciation of words uh, according to the Romans. It's like 47 pages long. Just randomly found it by looking for Gentis. But anyway, all that aside, uh, Gentis is a, a Latin word which means I think people or like tribe. Uh, your your tribe just people um i think it's like plural of something whatever <laughs> that's, that's yeah i mean uh, it, i speak plural spanish of gents, and, i think and gente is, is people so it's, i think yeah it's, i think it's literally people uh it's a civilization building game so that's why it's people because you're building up your people to be cooler uh but i don't even know like what the theme i mean gosh you're it's a civilization building game the you're ultimately i think you're trying to kind of build cards which is the main uh, largest scoring mechanic of the game i'm trying to remember if the cards had thematic names i think they did actually because we were laughing about a couple of them just kind of the effects were thematic so yeah um kind of very abstract uh, civilization building game it doesn't look like much actually it looks like a more complicated game than it is which has been kind of what's been happening to me lately as I look at games and they look super complicated, but when uh, we start explaining them, they're actually not that bad. Uh, what's the genotype was actually another one like that. Uh, this one is, is a little bit heavier though, but I feel like not that much. Uh, basically, the whole game is kind of this weird, interesting uh, 
time mechanic for taking actions. It's actually a combination. You pay for actions with time, but you also pay for them with money. So there's like a weird combination of you pay money to spend less time on actions, or you pay more time to spend less money on actions. So it's kind of like this weird balance of uh, money plus time. But you have a track above your board of uh, every time you take an action, you actually fill in some spaces with, well, the action itself, but also these hourglasses. And they get removed at the end of the round. So there's kind of a mechanic there where you can take, like, m rush some actions but suffer for it next round because it occupies a space for two rounds instead of just one if you put in two hourglasses at the same time in an, act in an action space. But basically what you're doing is it's a little bit of, like, track pushing, which I actually kind of tend to enjoy in games maybe i should give give more civilization games a try because a lot of them are about pushing tracks in this case you're pushing tracks of uh, people there's people that you're recruiting some of them are soldiers some of them are like pottery people some of them are carpenters whatever so you're kind of pushing the tracks up uh, of those people uh, so you can play cards and like I said, the, the cards are uh, the major scoring opportunity of the game. There's also some engine on cards. There's also some worker placement spaces on cards. There's some effects on cards. Basically, the cards are kind of cool. Uh, you can also obviously take an action to draw cards, take an action to play cards, and take an action to build cities. Uh, cities are another kind of engine building plus effects element. Uh, but the whole package I thought was really cool as far as kind of how it came together. Basically, it's kind of this resource build up with engine elements towards a conclusion of just kind of cash out your tracks that you've pushed and just kind of your whole game of a uh, combination of coins, these cubes where you can kind of have temporary population or rebalance your population and just kind of, yeah, just basically what you've acquired throughout the game as far as opportunities to score. Uh, really cool package. Like I said, it doesn't look like much, but uh, kind of easier to on the easy side to explain. I feel mostly, especially if you've played like games like this, it looks pretty scary with a lot of symbols, but they're kind of pretty easy to understand once you go through the game. And yeah, I kind of liked it. Um, I think uh, very replayable as well because the way the the order of the cards that come out it kind of reminds me obviously of uh, seven wonders do uh, seven wonders in the, in a way but not exactly uh, I think to, like I say civilization themes uh, civilization civilization games have these themes of kind of go up on tracks and do cool stuff that you're good at um, and I think this one does it really well uh, yep we messed up a few rules but kind of first playthrough uh we will be getting those rules more correctly in the future <laughs> I <guess. You> hope. <laughs> i hope no i went through it uh something with the cities felt off because we were missing the they activate at the end of every round which would actually change the game uh quite a bit well different regions activate every round but you have an incentive to build in the same region because every time you build in the region all the cities in the region activate so we're playing a game which was kind of better or worse better and worse because our cities did not activate but we were getting massive bonuses for basically building in in the same region so i think it would be a little bit less more balanced because you can probably start more evenly uh if you build in different re anyway i'm getting into details but basically the game also is i think more fun than what it looks like because i was a little bit concerned by looking at it because it looks very dry that it's going to be just like really 
kind of just not fun to play but actually it just kind of feels feels good to play i think um i don't know what i'd really compare it to as well because it's uh, somewhat unique if i were to compare it to anything it may be like even something like hadara actually but hadara is way more simple this one is a little bit more but also it's not so complicated to be the uh, some with like on the same level as like a Lacerda game or something. Uh, I was actually surprised also by the weight on BG. It says 317 to me. That's like a pretty heavy game, and this didn't really feel that heavy. But overall, I really liked it. I'm looking forward to playing it again. That's Gentes. Trevor did not play it, and I don't don't know if you even have seen this game. I think they were playing it at SaltCon that one time, but I didn't play it at that time. I have seen it before. I've never played it. Um, it wasn't really on my radar to play because it kind of looks like a prototype to me. <laughs> um, but then looking closer at it, maybe it's just like ancient civilization prototype. <laughs> yeah, they're going for kind of art style of parchments and like, I don't know, just very simple white-ish. Uh, actually, the game is by Spielworks also, which I didn't realize. Uh, I think Spielworks is a publisher and they do like, from what I've seen, uh, actually it's Game Brewer, maybe in the US. Uh, they do like kind of more drier looking games like Arkwright is by them. But I think the gameplay of their games is actually really good. So they don't look like much, but I think they do pretty well on gameplay um, yeah. in general from what I've seen. The Luvia project was kind of like that. Actually, like a lot of their hilarious mission actually is published by them. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> That's but, yeah, also they, a prototype. <laughs> uh, yeah, they have very questionable prototype looking games, but I think the games play well so yeah i think that's the case in this one as well because i like i said i had the exact same concern like i was looking at the game when it was played at saltcon i was like wow this looks really dry and boring but it's uh, it's pretty fun to play yeah they should sell solarius mission to someone else who can produce it well because that's <laughs> it's actually a good game yeah uh cool yeah i i i do want to try this one now that you go you've gone through it it sounds like it's interesting Yep. All right. So the last game I wanted to bring up today is Hallertau by Uwe Rosenberg, published by Lookout Games in the standard enormous expert level uh, Uwe Rosenberg box. Uh, this is a game all about Hallertau Bavaria. <laughs> Basically, I think one of the largest hop producing regions in the world so it's just really well known of course for beer production um, and basically what you're doing in this game is you are building up your village in uh, in Hallertau to be cool and prosperous and stuff and to like shove a building like you wrap your ropes around it and what did we say you're putting under the building or you just like slap the building with fish and then it kind of or meat and then it yeah. moves over <laughs> no we we're, were joking that yeah the whole village is basically there and they're just like pushing really hard so that the building moves slowly right right <laughs> or <Yeah. laughs> they've wrapped ropes around it and they're pulling really hard and just like slowly sliding it across the ground yep <laughs> and, and just to, to give a description of the visual that that Risa and I are talking about is kind of one of the eye catchers I guess of of this game is that 
Um, most of the game really is is several player boards in front of you. Each player has several larger boards that they put in front of themselves. And one of those boards is this um, farmhouse looking thing that as you go upgrading your village, it slides to the right over the course of the game and so we were joking that that the village is out there pushing and pulling to move this building over um but really how it moves over is you're upgrading these different types of buildings in your town i guess and so like as production, you production manufacturing yeah. buildings business buildings i think yeah exactly so as as you invest more in your town it grows and so as you're sliding this large building to the right it reveals the artwork behind it of kind of a, a larger building rather than um uh just overgrowth and trees and things that are on the right side um so basically the, this is a it's a worker placement game um, with some pretty wacky card <laughs> card abilities. Um, the, the, there's a central board that has a bunch of worker placement spots, and it's fairly standard. Um, basically, the earlier players to go to certain every spot will spend fewer workers. I think each spot in the middle, except for the spots that draw cards. Um, have three three people maximum can go there um unless cubes are are cleared the first person to go to a spot spends one worker the next two and the next three um and then depending on player count certain numbers of those cubes clear each round so uh, the best the most efficient version of every action will not be available every round necessarily but the cubes do clear so that the actions can become available um and then you have this sort of mini game on on a, a farm field board in front of you where you're kind of uh installing these uh these field tiles that can move up towards the top of this board and then you want to plant uh crops in those fields when at the times when those fields are towards the top of the board because every round you're harvesting everything that's planted um and the higher up the field is on this grid the more crops yield you're going to have and then you uh, go through this phase where you're spending um, crops and other resources you have um, to upgrade the buildings in your town and and upgrade yourself and then there's a kind of the focal point i think in the where a lot of the game is is a building engine with cards um, which seems to me to be a little atypical for uh, an, an Uwe Rosenberg game where you're actually, so you're drawing cards, which by the way, you can play at any time, even when it's not your turn, you can just play cards and, and do things. Uh, so it's kind of crazy. Um, and there are cards that give you one-time benefits. There are cards that uh, build engines. So in the third phase of every round, you will produce, you know, basically run your engine, which might get you stuff or allow you to plant crops or do conversions or, or whatever. It's just a massive resource management game because I think there's nine different types of resources um, in this game. Um, and, then, and then there's also a third type of card, which just buys points um, for the end of the game. And those decks are actually variable because there are like three or four decks designed for different different 
the different types of decks so your game could be different and have a different focus depending on which cards you're playing with um so overall i found the game to be um not quite as complicated or or heavy as some of uh, uve rosenberg's other big box games but that's not to say that this is a light game um actually i found it a lot of fun to play the process of playing it was cool sometimes the cards seemed a little crazy <laughs> um and maybe Risto could talk about that a little bit but uh after one play of this it's uh two thumbs up for me i enjoyed it and i'm looking to forward to playing it more and uh it doesn't feel like the other large uve games i've played so i don't feel like i'm just playing recycled material which i know some people have that concern sometimes with uve games because he designs a lot of them and and uh, he iterates on on mechanisms uh what did you think of the game risto uh very uh, like you say a typical game for uve i haven't played overly many of his games but basically by kind of being exposed to to other people playing them or i've played a few um i kind of get the idea and uh this is kind of unusual like i say this almost feels like something like 51st state or terraforming mars or something or basically an engine building game where you build a build cards in front of you and they produce resources every time or like benefits for you uh very strange for like a game of his type usually his games are about like i don't know just actions like efficiency animals planning a lot of planning and yeah this game this game has a lot of planning uh but it's also like trevor says has uh, really weird cards like um and mechanisms to draw them so sometimes you can just draw a card that does something really cool and that might send you into some kind of uh, point scoring opportunity that you didn't think existed uh it's also really weird that the box is so huge because i feel like i don't know maybe it's because it's full of wooden tokens because the game does get a little bit ridiculous towards the end where you're producing like 15 of everything and you have to keep track of everything on your board and it does get a little bit crazy um actually what it turned out to be in our particular play was is basically we kind of maxed out most of the game itself uh me kind of by accident actually but um i don't know if trevor was like supremely planning everything i was just kind of getting mostly stuff that i kind of needed to it seemed like i had like few of you know uh because yeah i feel like if you sit down and maybe that's what some people do with this game if you sit down and try to plan like resource by resource how you're going to plan the uh, play your game that might get a little bit just kind of ridiculous um because there's just so many uh, and i think that's where the game length also comes in but uh overall yeah very kind of like i say mostly unusual game for uve um i like it because i tend to like these kinds of games more if there's a game by him which is similar to this is it's actually glass road i'd say and uh glass road's kind of a divisive game that's not many people like i think this is better than glass road though because i think glass road was a little bit like even more leaning on cards maybe and like uh i feel like there was some kind of luck issues with glass road i don't know we've only played holler tower once which is like hardly enough to explore the amazing depths that it offers i haven't seen all cards also um there there is some luck with holler tower like especially in the last round you can get a good scoring opportunity off of a random pull from a card or just kind of something that just doesn't work for you um or useless 
so kind of very strange as far as that goes but i feel like it's uh, overall actually a pretty cool game i had fun with it it does take kind of a long time to play for what it is but um as far as usually i'm not a super huge fan of uve but this game is is cool so yep holler tell yeah and the, the interesting thing about the card draw is that um you'll never draw a card that just like hands you points be just just like giving you points but you might draw a card that because of the way you've played your game it works um or because of the way you play your game it might not work <laughs> so there is kind of that weird thing of you can reveal points that may or may not work for the game you've played but there's i to my knowledge i haven't looked through all cards but i don't think there's one where you just draw a card and say congratulations you have seven points um so yeah it kind of well, has that the end round can feel like that with the objective cards i think because you can just draw an objective which it works for you like have seven cards played or something you know what i mean there are right, objectives but that's like I'm that saying, but like if you drew that card and you hadn't have played seven objectives it wouldn't work right so it's not yeah. like you just <laughs> exactly. automatically no, get the points but there's oh, yeah, yeah you don't automatically of... get the points but uh you have the opportunity to get the points yes. or not which is kind of a little <laughs> swingy but it's fine i guess i don't no, like I said, we've only played it once, so I don't know. Yeah, and that maybe that was pretty fortunate for you because what I, I the way I played, I actually did plan it out a bit more, is I took I took an additional endgame scoring card a couple of rounds before the end of the game so that I would have time to prepare for it. And had I drawn that card in the last round like you did, it would not have worked. Yeah, um, no, uh, what is, uh, actually, I didn't draw that card. That would, would have been hilariously lucky and awesome. But I did draw a card in the last round at the beginning, luckily, which was like half 15 of something. And basically, I had to orient my last round to kind of pivot towards that card. And it barely worked out, but it did work out. So I got like semi-lucky, I guess you can say. Like I drew a card which I could do with effort, but I can see how you can totally draw a card which you can just do without effort. <laughs> which is which is yeah. very questionable in that game so anyway yeah, yeah. but I, it's uh, like trevor saying it's actually feels like really cool to play because you're constantly building these engines and like every round basically you get like more and then more and then more more and then the end like i say it's just a ridiculous fest of producing like 15 different things so it gets kind of out of hand yeah the process of playing the game is is really fun and i i want to believe that the 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 cards um can't just like randomly hand you a win because you still have to have played a game that works well but uh, well i guess we'll see with more plays yeah all right so let's uh move on into the topic for today talking about fragility in tabletop games Um, so I've been thinking about this, about what, what does it mean for a game to be fragile? Um, does it mean that the game doesn't work? Does it mean that maybe the game doesn't play as it was intended? Or is it just that the game is weird and not fun sometimes, but fun other times? Uh, what, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think it means for a game to be fragile? Yeah, actually, I kind of uh, suggested the, the topic to kind of an intro to it. Uh, I played a game this last Saturday, uh, and actually, to Trevor's 
uh, points I don't know what it means exactly it's one of those things that we just kind of throw out the word sometimes uh, but what kind of prompted the topic was I played Raccoon Tycoon uh, on Saturday and that's an auctioning game uh, where you can start an auction anytime, where you can produce some resources or sell some resources, or you can buy these like building cards with resources, or you can buy, buy buildings, which are kind of engine building. And usually the way the game kind of develops is it's kind of, a, I don't know, like an hour long game, an hour and a half long game but there's a good like kind of like curve of people kind of producing a lot of stuff at the beginning then selling it opportunistically for high prices and then kind of building out maybe someone goes into a building strategy where they build building engines and stuff and uh kind of there's some buildings that you can build that kind of produce points over time over the game but basically i think when the designer was designing the game he was kind of assuming that's how it's gonna go at least in my opinion uh but what happened in our particular player was there's a particularly trolley player i guess uh which actually that's a very interesting uh question because i don't know if he was a trolley player or if, if we were like allowing him to basically win auctions which would end his turn but there's a mechanic in the game where you can just auction cards and that's one of the way the game ends is by auctioning these cards which are rail railroads um and if you don't win the auction it's still your turn so you can just start another auction and basically he would like start auctions that he would not win uh and we went through the cards in like six turns or something i think which was just like hilariously uh, well, six rounds, I guess you say, not turns. Turns would be kind of funny. That's not even a single round. We were playing a five-player game, and I think we had like five or six rounds of uh, gameplay. And uh, yeah, because everyone was buying cards from him, and he would just auction, 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 and it was just like ridiculous. Everyone was kind of like looking at each other around the table, and there were these awkward like, well, this is not usually how this game goes, or like the girl that was, uh, it was actually her game. She was like, oh yeah, usually this game is actually kind of fun, and you get to build some buildings and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, he made her hate her own game. No, it wasn't me actually doing it, but yeah, the, the, the guy that we're playing with uh but yeah I, I think like the general kind of takeaway from that play of the game was like this is not how the game is supposed to play but the funny thing is there's nothing in the rules that prevents the game being played the game the way we played it um to, to that point though i don't know if it was also in the interest of that guy to start auctions over and over and over uh that we played with because that doesn't necessarily benefit you actually it could feed someone else a lot of points which actually ended up happening uh it basically fed that uh, that girl actually who was the game owner like a lot of points and the game kind of ended so to speak prematurely but like to me that's kind of well one example where the game is like fragile i this the really good word that so i it doesn't would... save the players from themselves yeah like i don't know it tends to happen with auctioning games actually quite a bit because um i can think of another game called yunan that we played with uh like a long time ago which is another auctioning 
type game. And I think the auctioning games sometimes have this mechanic where the designer assumes that people like stop some kind of a cheesy strategy from happening. Uh, and it kind of turns into a little bit of like a collective action problem because someone does something or like uh, proposes something cheesy, I guess, that other people are supposed to say like no don't do this or like by their actions by like bidding higher for it or something but sometimes just no one does it and uh it kind of like wrecks the whole game i think <laughs> and those are just kind of the types of designs that kind of lend themselves to fragility as far as um, i'm concerned um another type of game where i've experienced like what i'd say is fragile stuff is uh games with uh, traders or games with like a bad person um, and usually the way they're balanced is very precariously like around the bad person kind of doing bad things but the good people like really trying to do good things as soon as like a good person turns bad i think the whole game just like goes to basically uh goes down the drain that was actually the co2 problem as well because as soon the game is like assumes that everyone is trying to do the good thing but as soon as one person turns bad like it just like wrecks the whole game <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my yeah. that's my uh, experience with some of the like hidden roles games like dead of winter can be like that i think like as soon as a good person starts acting bad i mean you can kick them out but by the time you kick them out i think like they've done a lot of damage like there's a lot of like those types of games like new angeles can be that way as well i think if someone like strikes tries to really tank the game along with someone else so uh, area controls can be kind of like that as well, I think, uh, by fragile. The fragility there, in my opinion, is like people attacking not who is whoever is leading and whoever is leading just kind of like exploding and controlling the whole game and just kind of like who cares what happens after a certain point. Uh, but like to me, a fragile game kind of... Uh, is something that technically is possible in the game but like in the spirit of gaming or just spirit of like sportsmanship or something you probably like shouldn't do that <laughs> i don't know that's like the best way i can describe fragility i don't know what you think about that entire thing or what other fragile games you've experienced trevor yeah no those are all really good points and you're um you're providing me ammunition for my theory which i'm going to publish <laughs> in a in a peer-reviewed paper in a, yeah in a 50 50 page paper like <laughs> yeah, PhD exactly. on fragility of board yeah, gaming. exactly i'm going back to school to get a degree in board gaming um but <laughs> so i i kind of think that there are two basic categories of fragility in board games um one would be the obvious one, which is just the the rules just don't work, um, right? Well, like the the design is bad, and so the game kind of falls apart at if you push it too hard or if you poke it in the wrong place or blow on it. Um, and and that the the like the epitome of of that type of fragile, in my opinion, is the betrayal games. Um, <laughs> Where and I think you recently played uh, uh, the D and D version, uh, the yeah. Baldur's Gate, Baldur's uh, which Gate. is where you could, you know, the the first half of the game kind of like doesn't really matter. Then the haunt starts, and then surprise, you could actually end the game that second. Um, that's happened to me. I think that's happened to you. Or you could just like start the haunt, and the game's impossible. Like it's impossible to win for um, either side. 
so there's not really much game left in those in those instances because the game has kind of decided through a random mechanism for you that there's no game left. Um, in my opinion, that's kind of that's really fragile and borderlines into into broken territory. Um, but I suppose a game of a game like Betrayal could work, so it's not entirely <laughs> broken. I don't know if I've I may have played like one or two games of that that actually worked, but most of the time it's just kind of hilarious and falls on its face as soon as the uh, as soon as the haunt starts. Um, so that's the one cat- category. The other category of fragility, I think it there's a spectrum, and my theory is is that the the more player interaction there is or the more dependent the game is on player interaction the more fragile the game is um because play the more player interaction that is required the more i think experience is going to lend itself to making the game work um and so fragility will be exposed by people not doing kind of what you're quote supposed to do or you know there could also be the outliers who just rebel against the game system and don't want to play it how it should be played and that's kind of where games like uh the cooperative version of co or the sorry the competitive version of co2 kind of fall flat is that if people aren't kind of doing what you're supposed to do in the spirit of the game it just kind of falls apart um but then if you look at if you take it to the other side of the spectrum where you have less player interaction or no player interaction you know the game seems to be a lot more stable and it, and it works uh regardless of what other people do right so if you think of a game like um i don't know what's a game with entirely solitaire maybe newton or something like that yeah newton actually is pretty solitaire it does have some like drafting decisions i don't know most rolling rights are actually pretty solitaire like railroad ink or something basically yeah. you don't do anything to other people most rolling rights you roll dice and someone everyone kind of does something but like no one really kind of cares what everyone else is doing yeah, which actually is exactly. a pretty huge missed opportunity i feel like there should always be some kind of like majority actually would solve most of those solitary issues like you want majority over something anyway but yeah a lot of the roll and rights are very boringly designed where you just look at your whole board and you're playing at the same time as other people but you kind of really just don't care what they're doing it's all about who's going to use the things better that are yeah. the same but the see the funny thing about that in the context of this conversation is that the roll and write always works <laughs> you know it's it's not a fragile system it may be a boring system but it's not fragile because uh it it doesn't fall apart unless you know i mean there's i don't think getting bad rolls and like scoring poorly is fragile that's just maybe not fun <laughs> yeah, yeah uh but uh, in terms of fragility i think the less opportunity for player interaction there is the more stable a game can be um and the more opportunity or the more dependent a game is on player interaction, the more fragile it can become. And uh, games that came to mind uh, for me, I was thinking of uh, games with high asymmetry. Uh, probably one of the more fragile games I've ever played was Vast, um, which is actually, in my opinion, a really cool system. But if everybody doesn't kind of know the game well and doesn't really know how their role fits into the overall system 
that game just absolutely falls apart and one person is just going to dominate. Um, and so, and that has a really high degree of player interaction. So that was just kind of where I was, I was thinking of, of fragility as a spectrum of, uh, of player interactivity. I don't know. If you, yeah, uh, no, I was going to say actually about Vast, it's completely true. And I think the biggest fragile thing that like puts Vast on the extremely fragile spectrum is uh, I think some players can literally not interact with some other players. Basically, it's organized kind of like a circle. So, for example, I think the house or whatever doesn't really interact with like the adventurer or something. You know what I mean? Actually, I can't yeah. remember. But each, basically, each player kind of has a task to take care of another player. Yes, um, and I think technically you can, but like you're completely wasting your time if you're interacting with someone else. Uh, whereas I think. Uh, root is kind of a similar system where people are doing completely different and weird stuff but i think like the what kind of solves the brokenness there is that multiple people can basically kind of attack the same person or try to block the same person or do something against the same person which even though they're not really particularly good at it they can like do something about it whereas i think vast like the incentives are just not there to interact with certain like between certain people so basically if someone's doing a poor job the person that they're supposed to be attacking they're just probably going to start like winning like a yeah. lot yeah exactly. uh, that's that's kind of what happens with vast so everyone kind of has to play at the very same level and be super careful and super balanced for the game to actually kind of work otherwise someone just kind of wins which maybe is like the way the game goes but uh yeah i don't really yeah that's a, a good example but i was gonna say as far as mechanics like betrayal and stuff uh to me that's more indicative of just kind of game design issues as opposed to fragility but i can see how you can call that fragile as well because the game design itself like it's not the fault of the players that like sometimes the haunt or whatever you do at betrayal like you can solve it before the haunt person even has a turn yeah <laughs> or or you have like yep. no chance to solve it because the haunt player like kills you in one shot and you have to find this tile that's like buried underneath a stack of five and it's literally impossible so i don't know i'm yeah there's other issues there with like game design i think uh mostly when i don't like games because they're fragile or just when i walk away from a game and i'm just like wow this was like really broken is uh when like player interaction i think causes it more than the rules so i don't know yeah, yeah. that's kind of and what i think about it that's kind of when it's more disappointing right is because if a if a game has poor design choices that just result in fragility then you're just mad that the game exists um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but but if but if it's actually a good game it, but fragility happens because for, with the example of vast um the game is entirely dependent on people doing playing their role like perfectly right otherwise the game kind of falls apart um that that's a little more frustrating and fragile just because you need to play with a group that knows the game um and and i think it the you gave a good example of how this is a spectrum because in root it is asymmetric and there's a lot of player interaction but the the responsibilities are kind of dispersed due to the core mechanisms of the game to where each player can kind of mess with each other in similar or the same ways whereas in vast that's just not the case 
Yeah, there are some interactions which are stronger and weaker in Root, and that's why I think actually having more people is probably better in that game. Um, I'm not really afraid of like player counts of like five or six because like certain factions, like I think like uh, uh, what is it, lizards and the green people of Woodland Alliance, they don't really can't really do much against each other. They just kind of are the passive factions. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah, the, I think more variety in Root in particular is better as far as that goes. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I forgot. Yeah, anyway, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you remember. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's uh, my upcoming dissertation on fragility in games. I, th I think it's a spectrum of, of player interactivity and how dependent the game is on that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, you said mechanics, player interaction. What was the third category? I think you said three. What was the last one? Or did you not oh, say three? I thought three? it was, I think it was just two. There's like the the dumb one where the game just kind of has bad design that results in fragility. And then there's the other type of fragility, which is basically just dependent on people understanding and doing the right things in, in the game. Yeah, actually, I remember what I was going to uh say i sometimes you end up in situations where at least for me i can kind of see the potential in the game working because i really like those kind of weird designs where the game is asymmetric and uh it's, it's very weird like it's not standard the game kind of has a little bit looser kind of guard rails and you can do weird stuff uh and you kind of i kind of want those games to work which is something weird that's happened with me a recent example of that is actually shamans i think uh because i think the idea of that game is really cool um, it's kind of a trick-taking game where there's bad people and they want the tricks to not be followed because they benefit off of that. But because of the cards themselves, sometimes you just can't follow, even if you're good. Uh, so anyway, kind of a fascinating idea. And then, and then I kind of ended up like wanting the game to actually work. And I still want the game to work. I feel like we should give it a, a few more tries. No. But uh, our first play was just kind of pretty broken as far as like i was like i don't know if this really works like as a game like was this even play tested and like what what is this ridiculousness uh so i kind of end up sometimes wishing that games would just kind of work <laughs> even if they appear to be fragile actually the same with raccoon uh, raccoon tycoon i really want that game to work and i was just kind of really disappointed of that particular play where it just highlighted like how broken it can be <laughs> every time i had a play of i have a play of of that kind with uh, like fragile possible games i'm just kind of really just sad because i really like uh, usually the mechanics that cause the fragility for some yeah. reason but but they just kind of sometimes just don't well, work and maybe like they just can't work some of them i don't know it's a very interesting kind of like discussion of like is the game itself broken or are the people breaking it that are playing it you know yeah well that's that's a good uh a point that you're you're emphasizing that i think is kind of uh integral to this whole thing is that um with the ability of player interactions or player choices to invoke fragility on the game, the the mechanism or the you know the mechanical structure of the game has to provide the incentives for people to not do dumb stuff that that just destroys the game, right? And so, you know, for example, with with um, with Raccoon Tycoon, 
Do you think it's possible for someone to win by just basically handing people buildings and railroads? Yeah, probably not. Uh, that's the thing. Yeah, probably yeah. not. So that fragility is brought on by stupidity, right? So <laughs> the <laughs> by people not doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah. So like the incentive to not do that is if you want to win the You're game, not winning. Yeah, you don't yeah. do that thing. But if you suddenly don't care about winning, then I guess the game's just like destined to not work anyway, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, I think. That becomes incumbent upon the designer and the developer of the game to, you know, with the increased levels of, of fragility, however that's introduced into the game, you've then got to introduce the proper incentives so that the game f at least has a hope of functioning how you envisioned it as a designer. Um, so in, in Raccoon Tycoon, just as an example, you know, uh, you're not going to win if you don't get buildings and you don't kind of run your economy like the game is intended to be played. What you're going to end up with is you give a lot of other people stuff and you'll end up with a couple of things, but you're definitely not going to win. Um, and so if you ignore the incentives, then I don't know if anybody can save you from your from your own stupidity. But uh, um, uh, yeah, that just seems to me like that's that's where you rely on. Does the design do the right thing? And and to use another example, uh, with CO2, the, the competitive version, I'm not sure that the incentives were ever really there. Um, because the, the incentive for doing the things that were kind of semi-cooperative was the game continues. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if, you if, don't, if you're not winning, you don't care if the game. Continues. Yeah, but if you're not winning, you don't care if the game's over. So I just yeah. don't know that the right incentive was there, and so I th I think yeah. you, the incentive has a lot to do with whether or not the game is going to ultimately like collapse on itself. Yeah, and that's kind of generally a problem as well with the games that I was talking about because if you're not winning, maybe like you don't care and you just want the game to be over, which you can. To facilitate by just like blowing it up, basically, <laughs> which is the CO2 yeah. thing. Uh, so yeah, it uh, definitely kind of goes to maybe issues with like griefing as well. Kind of like if I'm not winning, then I don't care, and I'll just do like random actions or just bad actions or whatever. Um, I don't know, but yeah, um, like I say, I I do enjoy playing. Unfortunately, maybe for me, these games that are prone to fragility and people playing correctly because I think they're very interesting, but they can be bad. So I don't know. I don't know if like it's always the game's fault. I think it's a so it's a good mix and i'd say it's more the people in the better designed games that are to blame if something feels like it's broken yeah i think that's that's probably true if you if you took a a, a you know did a post-mortem on games where you felt like the game was just fragile and broken i think you, in in many cases you could probably trace it to bad decisions of the players or just a weird dynamic yeah, it's a good mix, though, because I think, like, I don't know, I was just thinking, like, does Raccoon Tycoon need, a, like, a rule written in the rule book that, like, if you start a third auction, uh, you actually can't start a third auction or something. Uh, like, I don't know if that would actually improve the game. I feel like, like you say, that shouldn't be necessary, considering people's incentive is to not do that. But, I mean, the weird thing is the game's rules, like, 
allow it. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a kind of a weird like situation of uh, I don't know if there should be a rule against then any possible griefing in games. I think people should kind of assume that people want to play the games to kind of to score the maximum amount of points. And if they're a good guy designated a good guy, they're supposed to play like a good guy. I don't know. Uh, very, very kind of interesting topic, though, I think. In yeah, games. I, I don't think that designers need to be paternalistic. You know, the, the, I think that a game should let you fail if you make bad choices. Um, yeah, I think if there's too many guardrails, like it becomes kind of boring. Maybe like, oh, I yeah. can't do that, and it becomes arbitrary. Like, why can't I do that? Just because the designer said so, because it like makes the game too unstable or something. It should be just kind of maybe change the mechanic altogether or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and with games of of a little bit more weight, sometimes it's not so clear whether something is a bad decision at first. I'm just thinking of it, an easy example is games where you can actually go negative points early in the game, but then slingshot that into something really powerful towards the end of the game. Um, so I, I think that interesting games will allow you to kind of play with the system, but ultimately the incentive is there for you to make choices with short or long-term benefit to you so that you're not just starting a, starting a bid every round and then just like handing stuff to other people in the game yeah yeah i think like i say i think my con conclusion so to speak is i if every game had like a list of things that you're not allowed to do it would be a lot more boring and arbitrary so i think uh games like that need to exist not all people like them but i do usually yeah i agree broken games just kidding fragile games I guess. <laughs> who still likes broken games you heard it yep. here no it's kind of true actually i do like broken games uh, in, in, in a weird way so yeah I want them to work, and sometimes they just don't work. <laughs> but sometimes they work. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the the ones that those are the ones that are kind of pushing the envelope and trying neat things. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes they just fail. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. Anything else about fragile games? No, I think that's all we've got. For, Sounds for that good. Topic. Let's uh, jump over to some games on the horizon real quick. Okay, uh, I'm going to temporarily rename this segment <laughs> because although these games are on my horizon, they're not necessarily games that I'm like super looking forward to. I'm just kind of curious. Um, the first one is called Lords of Ragnarok. This is the next to hit game. Uh, game found instead of kickstarter this is the next um awakened realms game which is like a spiritual successor to lords of hellas hmm. bet you didn't see that one coming yeah i kind of didn't <laughs> uh, i'm more than anything i'm just curious to see what this one turns out to be because it is designed by adam kopinski so it's the same design team uh, same team basically right um and basically what i think they've from what I can read of it so far, because it just has like a draft page on Game Found, is that it's going to be like Lords of Hellas Plus. <laughs> so you're still going to be able to do, like, 
it's got a Norse mythology now. Um, you're still going to be building monuments and fighting beasts, and it's got like sci-fi mixed with old, you know, Norse mythologies that that type of stuff. But they're adding more stuff, so I'm I'm just kind of curious to see the level of bloat that this game gets. And I'm curious to see if it's going to be received well. I mean, obviously it's going to fund like gangbusters on GameFound because it's a, it's a Awakened Realms game with a lot of cool looking minis. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see what they do with the Lords of Hellas system and if they improve it or just make it even more crazy or, or what. Yeah, actually, this is kind of amazing. I don't know uh, what well, you're probably subscribed to their newsfeed or something, but uh, this is crazy. Uh, you heard it here first, I guess, because there's not even a BGG page for the game. So I feel like you can actually score some geek gold if you care about it. I if you did just it. like. Did you? Did you submit no. it? Really? Oh, uh, no. if you submit it to BGG, I think they give you like geek gold if you find a new game or something. So you can totally like claim to be the person <laughs> who created the entry yeah. of Lords of Ragnarok right now. Oh my gosh, that's my that's my claim something. to fame. <laughs> yeah, it's like I did it, man. I did it. That'll uh, be on no, my tombstone. Anyway. Created the BGG play page for Lords of Ragnarok. <laughs> or just like submitted the game first. Hashtag first. Yeah. People don't do that anymore, but yeah, they used to do it first. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it looks interesting. I uh, I don't know. I actually was kind of sad for a while that I did not get Lords of Hellas, but then I played it a couple more times and I became less sad that I don't, <laughs> that I don't have it. So I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know. The game seemed to be kind of loaded with miniatures and unfortunately a lot of recent disappointments. I did like the Lords of Hella system though, but I'm very afraid of it being like even more bloated. I feel like actually it needs to be streamlined rather than bloated in some way. Um, I like more mechanics, but the mechanics that they had weren't very, I don't know, like like I say, streamlined, developed or something maybe is the word. Like they just like the mini game of fighting the he the monsters was weird the push your luck element was really weird at that type of kind of game where you can like leave a monster with one hit so that someone else can just land one hit and claim the glory for it uh maybe thematic and funny but like in a game like this just kind of really really, really disappointing so very cautiously interested in that one in this one but yeah i did not see this uh, kind of coming anytime soon so interesting yeah and it like this is the first Awakened Realms game that uh, that's going to crowdfunding that is like it's got me looking at it. I doubt I'll end up backing it. Um, Three hundred dollars worth of miniatures. Oh plus my gosh! Five, Fifteen yeah. expansions. Yeah, that's exactly. my prediction. <laughs> um, but you know, I'll keep an eye on what they do with it, and I'll take a look at the rules. And I don't know if 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 this looks like it's an improvement on the Lords of Hellas system, that it might actually be one that interests me. Because I think I thought Lords of Hellas was cool, but like you said, it has some it has some elements to it that you know would have prevented me from like doing an all in pledge. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I I doubt I'll end up back in this one, but it the it's got my attention at least. Cool. Uh, the other game, real quickly, there's not actually very much information on it yet. Um, but again, this is one where I'm just kind of like, huh, let's see what happens with that one. It's called Circadian's Chaos Order. This is the second game, I guess, now in in what will 
probably be a Circadian's trilogy. This is um, S.J. McDonald uh, and Zach Smith is the designer for this, but this, it's published by Garfield Games, so um, Shem Phillips is involved. And um, so Circadian's First Light was sort of a dice placement, dice worker game. This one, I don't have a whole lot of information on it yet, but it, based on the picture of the board, it looks like it could be some kind of area control with tech tree game. There's hmm. there's really not a lot of information that I've been able to find. Well, yet. the original game had a huge production board, and actually it was kind of funny because it looks super complicated, and all you're doing is pushing one piece around it, and that's what you're producing. So you can see like 5,000 production options, and you're doing exactly one of them, and you <laughs> yeah. can move like uh, to adjacent spaces to like shift your production balance, I guess. So I don't know if it's the same thing, but if they introduce air control, that'd be interesting, actually, because uh, the game definitely was kind of not super interactive other than extreme blocking. But yeah, that might be cool. Yeah, so the, just the one-liner that it's got on BGG that's not part of like the, the flavor text says, in Circadian's Chaos Order, players take on the role of one of six asymmetric factions. Each faction has their own means of winning the game, unique leaders, attribute cards, and other abilities. So and maybe more asymmetry because I think it wasn't. I think everyone was kind of the same. So maybe like even yeah. more asymmetry. And I'm just looking. I don't know if you've seen a picture of the board, but it's got like a oh yeah a bunch they of terrain with hexes. Kind of like a terrain. Yeah, it looks like there's either some type of track system, or maybe those are placement spots on the board. I I don't quite know. And there's like if you yeah. look around the board there's like the different races have different tracks for something. So I'm interested. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it does look like a combination of like exploration and it looks like battles because the bottom thing is three and all battles with something yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. I'm I I I have a feeling this one is headed more towards um kind of a, an area control type game but uh, yeah. stay tuned i think the original game flew way under the radar so i'm kind of curious if this is going to bring the game to more mainstream kind of just like more people interested in it or not really yeah the uh <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately depending on who you ask the art has remained the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's cool. not bad it's just kind of uh, sterile is what, how you might describe it. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, go ahead. Kind of 2D, I guess I should say. Like, yeah. bad, bad 2D. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. I remember I, I showed the cover of of uh, Circadian's First Light to my to my brother, who's an artist, and uh, his only reaction was, ew. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. Uh, this one looks like it, like it might have some promise. I didn't think Circadian's First Light was a bad game. It was, it was just fine. Um, but I'm interested to see what happens with this because if if it's like any of the other games from Garfield where they kind of do trilogies, the later games tend to be more refined and and better in my opinion. So uh, interested to see what happens with this one. Yeah, cool. Anything else? As far as looking forward to? That's it for me. Games on the horizon. Uh, I only have a couple actually. One is a little bit of a cheat because I played it last week 
kind of, but I consider my first play kind of a preview because I was looking up rules all the time and I wasn't super sure about like how what the benefit of some things are, but like by the end of the game, I think it started kind of clicked for everyone and i'm definitely looking forward to playing again uh, not just one game but hopefully several a uh, game which is the first game in a while that i was like i kind of want this sooner rather than later which is kind of unusual because i have pretty good patience about games in general but not this one i guess so it's coming soon but it's Kubitos! Uh, Kubitos is a game which is kind of basically quacks with dice. That's really what the game is. It's quacks with dice. Quacks of Quedlinburg, uh, which is the ultra-acclaimed Wolfgang Warsh game that everyone loves so much. So much. Uh, so, uh, match. Kind, so match. So <laughs> match. Uh, but I don't. I actually kind of didn't like it at all. I thought it was kind of interesting uh, the first time I played it, but then basically the pusher luck aspect of the luck of the game kind of got to me and also cu coupled with um like i think i don't like bags as much like i'm very kind of not excited about games with bags pulling things out of bags as opposed to dice uh when it's come when it comes to pusher luck i think uh dice just kind of feel more fun to me and kubitos instead of pulling out of a bag you're rolling dice uh but it, like i say it feels very similar to quacks uh of quedlinburg you are racing uh the weird thing is you're racing but you're not blocking each other so anyone can kind of go wherever they want even on the same space uh but the decisions of where you go are kind of interesting um Anyway, it's 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 a cool game. I really enjoyed my first play of it, uh, which was kind of very kind of uh, exploratory. <laughs> I think I'll basically know what I'm doing the second game, and I'll be able to explain the game better. Uh, but yeah, that game's coming, and there's like a a lot of different ways in which you can play the game. Uh, Quacks had like. I think every card that you do had like two options, basically like abilities of the different chips in the game. In Kubitos, there's actually seven options for e what each die can be. And the, the game has even like pre-baked presets of like, uh, they recommend particular mixes of uh, abilities. Uh, and then there's like uh, three or four like advanced mixes, which are, uh kind of just even crazier and then it's kind of like make your own as well but kind of follow some guidelines i guess uh of how to play the game but yeah i was really surprised because i was very skeptical that i'm going to like this game because of uh my experience with like quacks of quedlinburg and just in general my feelings about push your luck games uh and yes there is definitely push your luck you can have a bad game for sure even with all the save card guards and stuff and all the like catch-up mechanics which exist uh but i thought the game was just so much fun so looking forward to so playing fragile. that so fragile uh the, the fragility in cubitos comes from like rolling really badly on the last round but there are some safeguards against that but you could still i mean it's like dice like are you kidding me you can still have a bad roll uh but uh, like i say pretty pretty fun game anyway and um there's just kind of it's just kind of fun uh you'll see 
But yeah, uh, Kubitos is coming. Also, I looked at a game on Kickstarter, which I was really interested in. Speaking of art, I think the art in that game is really cool. Actually, I really like the art. Uh, it's called Adele. Um, the, I actually immediately thought of a very uh, funny joke. It's Adele with uh, A-D-E-L-E, kind of like the singer, I guess. And the joke, which already has been made there, is it's kind of like, it sounds like a computer, like Adele, uh, D-E-L-L, which is a brand of computers in the U.S., if <laughs> anyone's listening internationally. And the funny thing is, uh, Adele is the moniker for an AI, so it's very thematic even to make that joke because it's it's like Adele is playing against the players. <laughs> <laughs> get it like computer <laughs> adele because uh, you you play a computer the it's one versus many game uh adele is a, an ai which has gone rogue and like wants to kill everyone and just like sets the ship on fire and closes doors and like trolls people and all they're doing is trying to survive uh, it's a ship and the ship is trying to i think like uh basically they're trying to i think like I don't know what the exact theme of the game is, but basically they're trying to deliver certain objects to certain rooms, and then I think just kind of like uh, that fixes the AI maybe or something. I don't know what the exact uh, theme is. I actually watched half a playthrough. Uh, I really like the art on the cards. I think it's really well made. I don't know if it's final, but like the whole game presentation, really cool. I really like one versus many games as well, even though we haven't played too many of them. Uh, kind of reminds me of like Not Alone, for example. Um, there are some other games of this kind uh, which I would like to play. Uh, the idea, the idea, really appeals to me. I don't know if it has to do with like uh, being a griefer and hating everyone, and just kind of like that's the perfect opportunity to ruin everyone's game. So if you, <laughs> that, if you, that sounds if about you, right. <laughs> if you had a bad game of something else, you transition into this one, and it's very thematic because you just like want to ruin everyone's time. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it, it oh. sounds kind of ridiculous, but that idea just is is, is kind of it sounds fun to me. So yeah, as an AI, you're trying to like I say, set set fires around the ship, close like uh, deprive people of oxygen, uh, like all kind. They basically cause everything bad to happen to them and slow them down. And people are trying to fix uh, accomplish the mission. Uh, the only problem with the game, so the, the as far as like me buying it or whatever playing it immediately is it was a kickstarter game and the price of the delivery of the game i think was almost as much as the game itself kind of expensive for what it is and i'm really hoping that someone picks this up or it eventually makes it to the u.s somehow because i'm really interested in the concept i just kind of want to get it for a reasonable price and without ridiculous European shipping from uh, Europe. But uh, I was really kind of fascinated um, about just the concept of the game. I don't know how well it works because the designer is kind of new. It has some dice rolling. Uh, it has some chips pulling out of a bag. So I think it kind of leans into kind of lucky mechanics, unfortunately. But I think it could be a really fun game to play. So this is more of a long-term looking forward to. But that's Adele, A-D-E-L-E, -E, apparently Appa with dots. Yeah, what, um, what are you going to say? Apparently, the, um, you'll be able to late pledge next month. <laughs> well, I just don't want to pledge at all. I'm hoping it comes to like retail is my dream. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe you should um, just ask some of the stores in the area and see if uh, any of them jumped on that. I know some of the stores can do back Kickstarter oh. backings. Yeah, the like multiple pledge or something. Yeah. 
yeah. I don't know. I've seen like I've seen copies of Kickstarter games at local stores around here in Salt Lake. Yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Like I say, I'm really, really hoping that someone just kind of a publisher looked at this and they're like, oh, this is really cool. We should publish this. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's like a local Portuguese production for now or something. I think it's according, Portuguese. I don't know. Spanish, according to maybe. some of these BGG forums, it, there will be a retail version. It's just how wide is distribution, I guess. Very nice. Hopefully it's going to make it to the US. We'll see. Or at least in Canada. Like sometimes I get weird stuff from Canada, but we'll see. Anyway, that's it. Cool. That's uh, just Sadell and Kubitos so far. Yeah, these are kind of far out horizons, except for Kubitos because the. Kubitos is like next week horizon. Yeah, the other one is maybe never. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, the other one mine is, uh, won't be for at least a year. I don't know if it's never. I feel like it's maybe next year, realistically, like 22, beginning of 22, if it gets published and someone picks it up in retail in the publisher in the U.S. Oh, it sounds interesting. I'd like to play it if, the, if it makes it to the U.S. Yep. Cool. Well, I guess that's an episode, everybody. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.